The winningest team in baseball also has the most saves, and people who save the most money are winners. So start earning saves by investing in worthy bonds for only $10 each. These bonds earn a fixed 7% APY, and there's no fees, penalties, or minimum balance required, and they can be redeemed whenever you like. You can even round up everyday purchases to buy additional bonds. Go to worthybonds.com backslash save. That's worthybonds.com backslash save. And save and win. Are you working? What kind of work do you do? This is the Punt and Pass Podcast. Touchdown, baby! Now, here are your hosts, two-time All-American punter Drew Butler. Mark Rick would like Drew Butler to hit it a mile in the air. And he did and the SEC's career leader in touchdown passes and completions, Aaron Murray. Touchdown! In stride as he crosses the goal line. Put it right on his hip. What a throw. Now with the latest from around the SEC and the world of college football, it's the Punt and Pass Podcast. Get to the house, sideline! Pylon! Touchdown! And the dogs are on the board first. Victory is mine. Yeah, surprisingly, I've been lame. Welcome into the Punt and Pass podcast. I'm your host, Drew Butler, and we have another awesome guest on yet another episode of the Punt and Pass pandemic podcast. It's another Quarantine Chronicles, and I've got a great friend joining us today. It's Friday, and our guest is Brett McKay. Brett is a sports psychologist a motivational speaker, and a behavioral change expert. He's a former Division I athlete. He played for LSU Baseball, and he is the founder of the Mindside, which is a sports and performance consulting organization. He's a sports psychologist to many high-profile athletes across the major pro sports leagues, as well as many top tour golfers who you probably watch on TV on the weekends. Full disclosure, hey, I worked with Brett Back in 2016, when I was returning from a torn calf injury while I was with the Arizona Cardinals, we've been friends ever since, and I'm a big fan of what he does and his social media presence. So be sure to follow Brett at Dr. Brett McCabe on Twitter and Instagram. I am at Drew Butler, and of course, follow the show at Punt and Pass. Brett, how are you, my man? Interesting times, and I'm sure that you've been having to deal with it in a unique way, just like everybody else has. Thanks for joining us. You know, Drew, thanks for having me, and and uh, thanks for the kind words. I mean, it was fun to 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 work with you and and uh, get you back from that injury. I think, you know, th- these are these are uncertain times. Uh, I don't think anything that we can sugarcoat this. I'm a clinician by training. Uh, my specialty is behavioral medicine, which is the interplay between the medical conditions and the psychological coping. Um, and you know, I, I've worked for a long time with chronic illness and Ill- injury, and we've never seen anything like this. Um, you know, you've got an illness, you've got a virus that's running, um, that there's a large side of hysteria to, there's a large side of reality to, um, we're going to fall somewhere in the middle. The problem is, is absolute just disruption across the country. Never would have thought we would be sitting in a spot where we have canceled, you know, just pretty much every social engagement and activity we can, um, you know, we, we've lost some of the coping mechanisms that we normally had, even after 9-11, when we lost sports for a week, when they came back, it was such a unifying moment. We're moving on three weeks now. And, um, and, and I'm just sure two weeks maybe, but I'm still shocked about what, what's, what's happened. Um, I was working at the, at the players championship with my players, a couple of former bulldogs. Um, and then I was standing on the range with Billy Horschel and Billy and I were working and I left that night and went back to the hotel and he called and he said, yo, don't meet me at six 30 in the morning. We're canceled. 
He said, catch a flight and get out of here. And it was this weird feeling because I went out and had watched that morning. I'd watched Brian Harmon, one of your Georgia Bulldog buddies. Um, I'd watched Harmon play, and I kept getting Twitter updates, and I'm like, ah, look, they're canceling this. They're can-. Then then all of a sudden, Billy goes out to play. Man, they canceled the College World Series. And, the war- and I'm like, there's no way. And it just grew. And what happened was it led to this feeling as an athlete and for people, and I'm going to speak to the athlete side, where – Oh, you're never going to take this away from me. Oh, you did. And it was that shock moment of, as you as a professional athlete, train, train. Now, wait, what am I training for? And so we we disenfranchised and we pretty much pulled the rug out from our society, um, businesses and everything. And that's why you're seeing the large number of un- unemployment just happen overnight. I mean, three weeks ago, we were OK. Now we got three and a half million reporting jobless claims. It's ridiculous. And so. I think that's the psychological uncertainty that still we don't have an end in sight. I think there's going to be some positive things happening here pretty soon, but um, that's my hope. But uh, man, what are we doing? It really is. It's completely unheard of. It's completely something like you just said that nobody's ever had to deal with before. The initial shock factor, if you're a golf fan, was the Players' Championship, NBA, the outbreak within the the teams who were on the road. You know, that was crazy. Pro sports were getting shut down, getting shut down, and then no March Madness. I mean, March with no madness, it really started to hit home. I still maintain, though, the first week in April— without Augusta, without the Masters, might be peak depression levels, especially in the state of Georgia. I mean, that is really the welcome of springtime. Uh, It's just, it's a cultural event for America, and I feel like it's going to be really unfortunate that we won't have that. But the end is not in sight. I think that's one of the things that a lot of people can't get over the uncertainty because there's no set end date. If you told anybody, hey, you're not going to have pro sports, but we'll be back Memorial Day weekend. Okay. You know, you got that tunnel vision. You can work towards it. But to your point, jobless claims are up. People don't know what to do. People are working from home. I mean, I'm lucky. I was talking with a buddy about it last night. I've worked from home since being out of football. And even when I was in football, you know, you have six months at home with your wife. My wife and I are very comfortable at home from 7 a.m. to 10 p.m., right? A lot of other people don't have that luxury. They're either on the road, they're in the office all day, they're not around their kids all day. That's just got to be a tough strain on the marriage. So it is a top-to-bottom, complete flip of normal daily life in America, which has been absolutely crazy. I definitely want to touch on how you are working with your athletes to kind of alter the message or help them through this time. But before we get to that, I want to know how the quarantine period has been for you and your business, The Mindside, because I follow you on social media. You have a great team that handles your content. You're super busy. You go visit your players. You travel. You do motivational speaking. I mean, this has been an abrupt change in in your day-to-day lifestyle. Yeah, absolutely. If you looked at my business in general, there was three major drivers. It's not 100%, but it's my one-on-one clients that I work with that are across the age group, and it's businesses, coaching, and it's you know somebody who's a high school athlete and whatever. Okay, Then it's my PGA Tour clients, and then I'm the sports psychologist for the University of Alabama. Um, and that's not to get into financial disclosure, but it, I'm not paid a salary. I'm paid per you know utilization. Mm-hmm. So all of a sudden, my athletes are all over the world now, and I don't have the regular. So I lost two thirds of my revenue overnight and I'm anticipating losing more of my one-on-one clients who are going to look at it and say, Oh, look, we're being pinched at home too. Mm -hmm. So what it's done is I've had to take this time and say, look, um, as a business, I've got to either make a choice. Either I can go out and play golf every day, which 
you know, at our golf courses here, we're not socially distancing on the golf course and you can't get a tee time because it's 78 degrees and perfect. Yeah. Or I can stay in the office and I can create new content. And so we've used this as an opportunity for us to film some new content. We're launching a new platform coming out probably in the next week and a half called the Catalyst School, which was on the books. It just got fast forwarded, which is for coaches, leaders, managers, anybody who is responsible or influential to anybody in their life. We call them catalysts. So we are launching a masterclass. We're launching live training. Um, we're launching a ton of videos and podcasts because we figured that coaches and managers are looking for content to educate. So from a business standpoint, it's a little uncertain. Um, but what I'm doing is I'm working more hours right now trying to do content writing, writing books, writing ebooks, and I'm still seeing clients. Clients from a client standpoint, most of my clients, knock on wood, are fine. All my professional athletes are still good to go. But what's happened is I've switched it to saying, hey, listen, you're away for at least eight weeks now. What are you going to do in this time? You know, we can say, hey, we'll touch base in six, but then we failed. This is the first time for most athletes that they don't have a competition coming up that mm -hmm. they can actually get to work on something that they've been wanting to work on for a while. And you know, when you were kicking, if there was a chance I say, look, you're not going to play for a year. You can work on anything you want to do. You'd be like, let's get to work. Let's tear down that house and let's rebuild it. And that's what we're doing. And so we've, but I've also encouraged them all to read and to gain wisdom and other stuff like that. So from my business, I'm trying to heed the same results. I'm trying to exercise more and move more and take the time, but uh, we'll see. We'll you're, see how it, how long it lasts. You're doing a fantastic job with the adaptation. I urge you, if you're listening right now, follow Brett on social media at Dr. Brett McCabe and check out his YouTube page because I've been looking at his YouTube page. I'm on his newsletter that I get on the email. I need to know who your content team is because they do a fantastic job editing. It's just really good stuff to take in. Five, ten-minute videos. Some of your speeches are broken down, how you work with athletes, how you work with teams. I think it's really great stuff. So if you're listening after the podcast, be sure to check out Brett on YouTube and on social media. Let's talk about um, the message that you're giving to some of your professional athlete clients because I was sitting here thinking, and I know obviously you work with a lot of major pro sports players, but a lot of PGA Tour golfers as well. Golf season was just getting into oh, yeah. the real grind of the season, starting with one of the biggest, if not the biggest, and it is the biggest from a financial standpoint, tournament of the year, the Players' Championship. This is a two-part question, and obviously you can answer it however you see fit, but I wanted to know the advice you're giving to your clients amid the abrupt halt in the sports world. One, for those who are performing well and gaining momentum and feeling really good about how they were playing, and then two, those that were reeling and struggling and they had this mound of negativity, and now they had this breath of fresh air, hey, we can, we can start anew. Like you said, we can just tear down the house and start rebuilding thousand percent correct. So it's been unique. I do have some that were surging and we're in a great, great spot. And what I've educated them is I said, look, I said, you, your success was not built based on chance. It was built on hard work. Your hard work is not a once in a lifetime. You're not catching a shooting star. All right. You're going to take some time off. We're going to review. We're going to do a deep dive. Okay. We're going to study the indices that were actually working for us. So we're going to take a time and take a step back. I wouldn't get out there and practice. I wouldn't get out there and hit balls. Take some time off right now. You, you can do this because 
the the whole thing about this uh, uncertainty right now is that we have to break this up into two facets. One is right now we have to endure the storm we're in. We're still in a storm. We still have a lot of uncertainty. We don't know when the curve is going to flatten. We don't know when health, when the treatments are going to start working. Once that happens, then we're going to move into the next stage, which is um, the emergence, right? So we got the endurance right now, and then we're going to move into the emergence. And the emergence is, you know, as an athlete, as soon as somebody said, hey, you got to report to camp on this date, the motivation fired up. Mm -hmm. So what I want to do is if we've accurately evaluated it and done our work, then we're going to build a plan to get out of it. And we're going to build a plan that's going to not fix problems, nothing else. It's how do we get ready to compete at the next time we go out there, which each and every athlete I have, whether they were having a great run or a bad run, are going to be nervous when they go back out there trying to evaluate. So then what I want to do is set up a four-week run. We're going to evaluate over four weeks. Not everybody who comes out of the gate in the first game, the first match, the first tournament is going to have a great day. It just physiologically can't. Numerically, it cannot do it. So we have to give them time to say, okay, we're going to have a four-week run-in to start getting back and getting the engines cranked. Um, and, and some of my athletes are great out of the gate, and then they fade, and some of mine struggle in the first tournament, and then they surge. And you just have to know their personality. The brilliance of the people who were struggling is I said, look, you were reeling, you were overwhelmed, you were tired, you were exhausted. What an amazing reset button you just got provided. How are you going to use this time? Are you going to keep the same negativity, the same fear, the same uncertainty and bring that forward? Are you going to flush it and rebuild and get to work with your instructor, get to work with your strength coach, whatever sport you play, what are you choosing to do out of this? And I think it's been a really nice reset for players. And I think what we're going to see in the golf world is we're going to see a pre and a post because most of the majors I have a feeling with no inside information are going to be in the fall. Mm-hmm. We know Augusta's already rumored for that and, and everything like that. But <clears throat> how are you going to manage this and come out of it? Who's going to show up at the first tournament? The one with regret or the one with determination? If you have regret because you laid around, watched a whole lot of Netflix, you get look, hopefully by now, two weeks in, most people are like, okay, I'm done with the streaming shows. Mm-hmm. I got to get to work. And you've seen some of your colleagues in the NFL and some of the major and the professional golfers, they're using Peloton or at-home workouts, and they're challenging each other on social media. That's not an ad dropped by Peloton. Peloton's loving it, but that's really them being generally interested in communicating with one another and competing. And so those individuals feel like they're winning some game, whereas there's others that are like, ah, I'll do it tomorrow, I'll do it tomorrow. And that's what eats them up. So I really want them to take a look and say, okay, who is the one that's going to come out of this with the highest level of success and desire to be their best? And if you can focus on that, oh, now we've got now we've got a bonus going on. Yeah, absolutely. And those that have the opportunity to get back into the arena, obviously, like you just said, the two week period ends, you know, you've been eating junk food, watching Netflix, that innate competitiveness takes over and you say, you know what, I'm done with it. I got my two weeks. Now I'm ready to get back after it with a goal in sight. You mentioned you work with the University of Alabama for a range of sports teams through the athletics Mm -hmm. department. And unfortunately, some of those athletes are not able to get back into the arena. And, and yep. my question to you is with so many athletes, whether it be in college, uh, some professional who aren't going to get re-signed, and then even at the high school level, they had their seasons or careers cut short or ended. What's your message to them? Because that negativity, I mean, it's so hard to say, hey, your parents just lost their jobs. The market's down 30%. You're no longer playing uh, sports, but hey, stay positive. I got your back. That That's a yeah. tough message to sell. 
It is. And, and it, it's very tough because as an athlete, I couldn't imagine if I didn't have that opportunity to at least have in my senior season, I, mm-hmm. you know, we ended it earlier than we wanted to. We got eliminated before we went to the world series, but it, it wasn't a Cinderella moment, but I can't imagine, you know, preparing to go on a road trip. Then all of a sudden the next day say my season is canceled and we don't know if you're going to get another year of eligibility. And I'm also going to say this, if I was a sophomore or junior that I was or a junior in baseball that was going to get drafted, you just took that away from me. Yeah. And now do I want to sign pro or, do, or did I lose my draft stock or my draft ability? Um, and, and so, you know, a lot of us look at that and I, and I look at basketball, men's and women's basketball, Oof, no March madness, crazy gymnastics was getting ready to get into the best time of their year done. Um, and I understand the decision. So one of the things I try to tell everyone is look, grief is normal. Grief is the natural process that we have, that we, we manage loss. You lost something very important to you. And most athletes, when their career ends, goes through a grieving process. You probably went through a transitional process, and it's difficult. It's not easy. Um, this was sudden and abrupt as if it was a, um, a season-ending injury. Mm-hmm. The second thing is don't play the victim, even though you are a victim. And this is one of the few times that I can say you're actually a victim of decisions and circumstance. However, when we play the victim, we feel powerless, and when we play the victim, we start blaming more. Organizations had to make decisions on the bigger scope. The last thing is, is you have an opportunity as a player or as a coach to connect to that player and vice versa through contact, email. But I, I've encouraged every coach of a senior who's left and their team to write handwritten notes to them. Make it personal. The reason I want it, I don't want it on an email is I want it to be personal. Mm-hmm. And a couple of coaches have texted me and said, I can't believe that I haven't done this every year. This has been, I cried. I have a male football coach who said, I cry, I sobbed like I lost loved ones. He said, giving and having to put closure, but that gift that you can give a player to say, look, you're able to put a boat. You may have lost the number of innings, but you didn't lose that connection. And here's what I see of you in your future. Those are things that we can do as a coaching staff and an administrative is to recognize those. I hope each university brings back the lost seniors who lost their seasons and recognizes them in a way to say, look, that was not ideal, but it is 100% accurate. We we lost their ability to put a cap on it. Um, I, I can't imagine if four games into your senior year at Georgia, all of a sudden they came back and they said, yeah, we're done. Yeah. You know, it, I mean, it was just shocking. No, it is. It's, it's totally shocking. And, and like you said, the finality of it and, and how it happened, being a victim of the decision and of the circumstance, obviously you have to grieve. I mean, that is only natural, but how are you going to get – Past that point, getting a handwritten letter from your coach, your coach telling you you've meant so much to us. I can't wait to see you come back. If you need any help, I'm there for you. Let's continue this relationship even though we're no longer that coach player. Um, I think that's extremely important. You just mentioned Georgia. You just mentioned football. Obviously, a lot of our listeners are big fans of Georgia football. And I was excited. You know, when I played football, Brett, I always said spring football was the season for no reason. And I was a kicker, punter. I mean, I didn't like it. Look, I'm not going to punt a football until it matters until September. I don't know how much that's going to matter in March or April. I was just never a big fan of it. And since I've gotten away from it, and especially this year, I was excited for Georgia spring football. New offensive coordinator, Todd Munkin, graduate transfer quarterback, Jamie Newman. They got Scott Cochran from Alabama. He's a new special teams coordinator. With such high expectations, I thought Georgia was one team that needed those 15 practices, that needed the G-Day game for some positive momentum 
to move towards the fall. And now the rug's been ripped out. They're not going to get those 15 practices. They're not the only team. Obviously, everybody in America is not going to have spring football. But how should college football teams gain an advantage without those 15 practices and scrimmages? Well, having doing some work with some Georgia Bulldog players, and so our trash talk is pretty good on the golf course. <laughs> I will say maybe this is a good year because y'all's hype game is better than anybody else's. Yes. So maybe this year, without the hype, it may actually be good for you. I like that. Okay. So I, I think we're having to adjust. I mean, it is what it is. I think you're going to see the NCAA have to come back and say from a player safety standpoint that they're going to have to do some summer training. Mm -hmm. That's going to allow them to get in in shape and, and extend and think outside the box. I think one thing about COVID-19 that's going to allow us across many different forms and fashion is it's going to allow us to look at the way that we've always done things and said, well, that's because we've always done it. Yeah. Well, that obviously doesn't work. You've seen in the medical world, in the psychology world, that you can go across state lines now and practice telemedicine, telehealth. I think the NCAA is going to make some changes because of this, too. Um, They're going to have to because it's going to force them to think outside the box. And when you look at player safety and we one thing that we forget for many of our athletic departments, particularly the very large power fives, the social network, it's a zip code in its own right in those buildings at Georgia, at Bama, at LSU, at Auburn, they're their own world. Those, the sports medicine staff, the training staff, the strength conditioning staff, the nutrition, the player support at every sport is there. And for many of those athletes, that is a much stronger social network than they've ever had in their communities. And all of a sudden, gone. So I think we've got to look at how we structure to, to say, look, is it a wrong thing to allow kids to be around as much as they are? Mm-hmm. Um, and can we release some of the guidelines that we've had in place that are, that are kind of funny guidelines that don't make any sense? Let's use some common sense here and say, this is a healthy environment for the kids. This is done with the right purpose. And I, I'm shocked. And I think we'll see it. I think you'll see some reports probably as more and more time goes on with players away from home, away from their structure and home, that the positivity of being in the college campuses, that also being said, you've got new coaches at Georgia, you've got new coaches at Bama, you've got new strength staff there, you've got LSU returning from a national title, new coach, you know, offensive passing game court. They're all having to adjust to new ways. Mm -hmm. The best thing that, or the most important thing I would say is when they return is not to get caught up on what they haven't been able to do, but instead look at it and say, okay, we're here and everybody's in the same boat as we are. We can either bitch and moan, be frustrated, or we can accept the fact that we're going to have a faster uptick. We're going to have to do things. We may not be able to install the offense that we want, not until October, November, but right now we got to be proficient with what we're doing. And they'll adjust and there'll be somebody who comes out of it smelling like a rose because they know how to do it. Yeah, absolutely. And you bring up a great point that I hadn't really thought about with the NCAA maybe tinkering with the rules that limit how much interaction the players and coaches are allowed to have during the summer and then maybe getting them with that rule change possibility, getting them more ready from a safety perspective because when summer camp opens, right, when the team gets to bring 105 guys on campus, you're only allowed 30 practices before the first game. So will the NCAA lift some of those 
guidelines and bring in some fresher rules that say, hey, coaches can work with players. You guys can have footballs out on the field. You can have the training staff out there to limit injuries. I think that's a really important thing to look at, and it probably will happen. My only question would be, uh, from a former athlete standpoint, you know, going to Georgia and the resources that you have at the bigger Power 5 schools, they want their scholarship athletes to be on campus. They'll give them scholarship checks. They'll allow them to enroll in class. That's not the same at every school. Maybe the NCAA gives them some financial aid as well to allow that to happen because, like you said, preparedness is one thing. Player safety is another, and that certainly will be a big, big factor. Let's talk about your LSU Tigers here for a second. Um, Huge year for them last year. I mean, what Joe Burrow was able to do, and I'd love your thought process on this because, you know, we talk about college football on this podcast twice a week during the football season. Aaron Murray was super high on Joe Burrow after the Texas game. I mean, he saw it in primetime. He goes, this dude's for real. LSU is for real. I was a bit hesitant. I went to the SEC championship game against Georgia. Obviously, Georgia had some really good momentum, top-ranked defense, and they kicked their ass. I mean, it was no mercy. They looked unstoppable. And the thing that I really enjoyed when watching LSU, Brett, was their ability to take the punches, remain calm, and then just absolutely put their pedal to the metal and suffocate teams, most notably in the national championship. I mean, what a great start by Clemson. Field position was big. They LSU offense couldn't get anything going. Clemson strikes first. You're like, here we go. We got a matchup. And you would just see that cool, calm collectedness of Joe Burrow kind of welcoming in the adversity, saying, oh, you guys, you want to do this. You you for sure you want to do this. And then halfway through the third quarter, the game's over. I mean, I had never seen anything like that. And you and I talked about those exact situations when we worked together a couple years ago. Punting is a lot like pitching, as you had told me. When you look at relief pitchers, when do they come into the game? Relief pitchers come into the game at the absolute worst parts of the game. And when you and I were together, it was when the Cubs and the Indians were in the World Series. And what a great World Series that was. Seven games, the Cubs win it. But the Indians pitching staff was phenomenal. And those pitchers would get brought into the game at the worst time. And they would go in there and perform. Punters do the same thing. Three and out, shitty field position. Go in there and give us your best. It seemed like LSU football did the exact same thing. I would love to know your thoughts as a sports psychologist and kind of a behavioral change expert to just welcome in that adversity and have everybody on the same page to say, we got it. Now let's go get them. I mean, you, you captured it absolutely perfectly. But I think the the big factor that happened there was there was an interview I saw of Burrow after the national title game. And he said, we knew that Clemson in the first five minutes of each half was going to have something new. And what we had to do was we let them do it and then we diagnosed it and then we smothered them Mm. and they knew it. Okay. And I think that was the spoke to, I I remember when Orgeron was hired, there was a whole lot of the joking and I'm like, this guy's not dumb. He's had way too much success at interim places. He had one bad stop at Ole Miss where it was a resource and an institutional problem. So let's slow the roll there. This guy's winning record in interim positions is way too good. Okay. He's a smart man. He knows how to, um, allocate his resources and also delegate decision-making. I think what was brilliant about them was there was a lot of talent on that field. They got, they all made a choice as a team to, to reduce the outside noise. But what I loved about him is he allowed them to play. They, they were goofy on the field. Mm -hmm. They were celebrating on the field. They never really crossed the line. There was only one or two, but 
by that point they were winning by 40 or something. And after that Texas game, the confidence just rolled. They believed in the change and the return of a new focus type of training in Joe Brady, which if we look at it and you go, Oh, what did he really do? He just increased the focus on the details that most people forget. And Joe Burrow to me speaks of where all these recruiting sites are so wrong is that we want to judge every player as if they're emerging at 18. How do we judge a player that emerges at 22? Mm -hmm. We miss that kid. Thankfully, Urban Meyer, because of Joe's dad, you know, took a chance on a kid or he would have been at a nothing wrong with the division three school, but he would have been buried somewhere that nobody would ever found the kid. Okay. And he got in the right setting. He, a very similar story to me, but I think what's, except for, I didn't want a, a Heisman or equivalent, but, <laughs> um, but what you saw was a guy who slowed down the game because his, his, he got confident. The team got confident around it. They managed adversity. I mean, my God, a tragic story going into the quarterfinal or the semifinal game, which oh. I was at the dome. You had major problems across multiple different settings. Um, and, you know, they were able to handle it. They had a, their rush linebacker suspended for seven or eight weeks, and they just kept going. It was next man up, and it was a very unique setting. But it reminds me of the interview that they gave Bill Walsh after he won his first Super Bowl, and they said, uh, Coach Walsh, you know, now that you've got a team of guys that have won Super Bowls, it's got to be better. He said, no, it's worse. Now I have a group of guys that have won Super Bowls. Are they willing to make the same sacrifices they take to get there, or are they caught up in their contracts? Well, You've got a, a returning, you know, wide receiver who's a Blitnikoff winner, and you got a new, a uh, new quarterback who's a junior who's been waiting his turn through two other starters that have been pushed in ahead of him. How is he going to respond? And it's going to be really interesting. But I think what we can learn from that team was when confidence gets rolling, and and this is why you never evaluate a team until they have a chance to get the systems working and the pistons firing. Mm -hmm. Great teams will that system will come together. It's kind of it's kind of like a very fast airplane. The faster it goes, the better it is. And, you know, it, it's it's built for speed and it's built for power. And that's what you saw with that team. Then the confidence was just ridiculous. I mean, they walked out on the field. They knew they had the best athletes on the field. It was that confidence of looking across the line and saying, you're going to give us your best. But the two teams that gave them the biggest problem were Auburn and Bama. And both of those teams tried to smother the clock, in my opinion. Alabama still, even with... Um, you know, the, the changes that were happening there with the quarterback with Tua and, and all the stuff that he went through. But because uh, if I'm not mistaken, he was the quarterback in that game. Yep. But they just slowed down the game and they they tried to and Auburn smothered the game. And that's why it was such a close game. If you got in a track meet with LSU with those horses and those that speed on the outside, they just took off and they spread out the field. And then they had a great running back. And it, it was just it made it fun. But the defense wasn't very good to start the season and they got better. And they started believing. And so I think from a learning standpoint, behavioral standpoint, it was the collective belief that each and every person is going to pull their weight. Each everybody is going to do their job and great things can happen if we're focused on the right things. Yeah, it was uh, it was really cool to witness. And again, I can't think of an ascension from one year to the next on such a drastic level than Joe Burrow. I mean, Joe Burrow started for LSU in 2018, right? He was the grad transfer quarterback. Then in 2019, he comes really, and you read the articles, you see the statistical breakdowns, it's crazy. After he got lit up in the Fiesta Bowl against UCF, I mean, it is insane, the statistical breakdown of what happened in his 12 games before that hit, and then his 15 games after. Truly unbelievable, great for him. He's going to go down as one but, of the best college football players of all time. Of all time. And, and here's... Here's what's interesting. This is a coaching point. 
Joe Burrow needed fire in his belly. Okay. So does Tom Brady. Yeah. All right. Not everybody's a robot and coaches that try to coach emotion out of a player many times for those really good players, they restrict them. Okay. You've got to understand and know the person. It was okay for Burrow, for Orgeron and his team to sit there across the, the line and talk. He was okay with that because he knew that he'd never crossed the line. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now that's different than somebody who's crossing the line and you got to reel them in. But Burrow had enough head on his shoulders to be able to talk, to jaw with somebody, and then get back to work. He had no problem going into the opponent's sidelines and posturing as a quarterback. But that's what created the fire. If they take him in the NFL and they try to make him you know, a CEO that sits there and meticulously tries to have no emotion, they're going to coach the genius out of him. He's got to get dirty. He's got to get hit. And I know that's risky when you've got a franchise there. But it's really, really challenging um, to to not play to who your um, your dynamic is and your personality really really is. Yeah, you're talking about having a fire in your belly and and needing to get dirty to to make those strides, and that leads me really to the final question here. And I'm going to ask you a couple of fun questions at the end of it, but I have this one written down, and it's really to our audience. I'm sure a lot of people are needing to get dirty. They don't have a choice right now. How can you take this time, regardless of whatever circumstance that you're dealing with right now, how can you take this self-isolation quarantine period to make strides and progress when everybody is surrounded by so much negativity and uncertainty? Well, the first thing I would say is you've got to remove yourself from from the social media world of the news reporting. Um, I'm hoping that from epidemiology, and I'm also hoping from news reporting that there is an integrity check that comes out of this because mm-hmm. I think we've we've really lost our mind here a little bit on I don't call it fake news, but maybe blurring the lines for clicks. Um, and and I'm not knocking on CNN. I'm not trying to see some of CNN's headlines have been downright um, uh, uh, histrionic. Yeah. Uh, to get clicks, and I think that there needs to be a, a double check that happens there. I think also let's 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 secure ourselves from that. Um, and I think let's also get back to right now we got to endure. How do we endure? We get up every morning, we take care of our business, we don't sleep till noon, we start something that we've been wanting to start, we work on other projects, we go back, we improve the projects that we've had. If you're out of a job right now because you've been let go, you know it's going to turn and it's going to change. Okay, money's going to come back in. There will be jobs. You're going to see a huge hiring opportunity. This is a great time for you to go find something that you probably really want to do. So, what skills are you bringing to the table? Are you going to, you know, get motivated or are you going to feel like a victim? You have every right to feel like a victim. This is truly a victim style mm-hmm. outcome. However, people are going to make the most out of this, and there are going to be, be people who surge because of this. Can you be one of those people? Well, sure. Get up, get moving, refine your resume right now, work on skills, make connections on the social media networks of LinkedIn and Twitter and Facebook, connect to people you haven't seen in a while, Um, eat healthy, all right? You know, it may be a bacon sandwich, but it's better than going out and having six beers and wings every night. So move, go for walks. There's no reason why you can't socially um, isolate a little bit, but go for walks at night with your family. There's nothing wrong with that um, and, and so on. So let's just keep growing and doing what we're doing um, and, and come out of this and say, look, it's going to end. Logic says it's going to end. Every pain that we've ever had in our life has come to an end somehow. Um, it's got to. There's going to be an end to this. 
So are you going to be ready or are you going to be waiting on the side asking for an invitation? Um, so I think we got to really look at those things and say, um, let's take some control over the environment that we have. That's why I've spent more of my time writing and working and doing podcasts and stuff like that when normally I don't have the time and I've complained forever. But time is a resource I have available right now. Many of us do too. Um, now, the other thing too is, uh, you know, I think we need to be looking at what we can do to protect and help our health healthcare fields and our kids and stuff like that. My kids are 22 and or 23 and 19. Um, they're in a little different uh, status. They're not super worried about this. Um, they're doing some stuff to work on themselves. And I think those are the, the guidances that we have to do. So I think have a purpose every day, get up, get going, get moving, and then we'll go from there. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you talk about your kids. Uh, for me personally, 2008, 2009, I was in college. I mean, I was completely immune to the entire financial crisis, had no idea about the credit crisis or really what it meant to me. I was so involved with football. I mean, I would call my dad. Fortunately for me, I could say, hey, I need 100 bucks, you know, to make my next scholarship check, stuff like that. But I wasn't in the real world like I am now, 30 years old with two kids and, and a lot of people you hear a lot of people what would you do for free you know what do you really enjoy doing what would you do for free i've gotten a fire under my belly with the podcast with the quarantine chronicles reaching yep. out to people that i think are high performers reaching out to people that make a difference i just want to talk to them i want to know how they're feeling and um it's been a pleasure here talking with you today you talk about going out and taking a walk too. social media obviously has been on fire because nobody has anything to do one of my favorite memes that are out right now is it has two pictures, and one is a family in their living room, and they're all on their phones, and it says, during non-quarantine period, and then below it is the family outside, and it's like during quarantine period. It's funny because yep. now that we can't be outside, everybody wants to be outside. Well, my 19-year-old today, we went to lunch, and we went. there's a couple of restaurants, and they have tables, and you can sit outside and in the, in the general area. There's nobody around us. So don't worry, people who are listening to this. And she goes, hey, I want to go get some lawn chairs. And we're like, Why? Now, we sold our house in in August, and we've been waiting to build a new house. And because of 50 inches of rain, we've had in yeah. this area that haven't been able to start the house. And so we're living in a rental house, which doesn't have a whole lot of room. And she's like, I just want to sit outside. And we're like, you've never exactly. sat outside. And she's <laughs> like, it just funny. feels so good. I'm like, okay, you know. If maybe we can get into some new behaviors and some new standards, this would be wonderful. Absolutely. All right. I got a couple last questions for you before yep. I let you go. I'm a huge fan of Tim Ferriss. I'm not sure if you know who Tim Ferriss is. Oh, yeah. He great time. author, great podcast, The Tim Ferriss Show. He really is an expert on human optimization. So I like to hijack a couple of the questions that he asks his guests, and I'm going to ask you a couple of them if you will entertain me. The first question is this, Brett. In the last three years, really three to five years, what new belief, behavior, or habit has most improved your life? I think it's pretty easy for me. Um, I turned because of uh, one of the uh, football coaches at Alabama. He introduced me to Ryan Holiday's works. Yeah. Um, and I spent a lot of time and doing some research on the stoicism. Um, I had a fortunate time in October. We went out to Austin and spent some time with Ryan. Oh, very cool. Um, he, yeah, he and I stay in touch now. And um, his stoic mindset, the obstacle is the way and the ego is the enemy is just brilliant. Um, it really helped me for specifically a time like this, which is, look, I can endure any storm. I don't need to worry about what if, because the real issue is who's going to face it. And that's me. And that's one thing that I've really changed is somebody who's always had a little anxiety, who's always been a little worried about what if it's really turned me to say, I can handle anything as long as I can just identify what the issue is and find a solution to work through it. Nothing is too big for what I'm trying to do. That's been the greatest for me. Yeah, brilliant answer. Uh, that kind of reminds – what's the movie with Tom Hanks, the Russian um, 
movie a couple of years ago and the Russian spy is sitting there and they yeah. always ask him, aren't spy, you worried? Aren't, yeah, yeah, that's right. Uh, yeah, that's exactly it. And he's like, aren't yeah. you worried? Aren't you worried? And he's like, would it help? Like, yeah, would me help? worrying help anything right now? I think that's a, a great message. Um, next question. When you feel overwhelmed or unfocused, what do you do? Um, historically, I, I, uh, when I'm overwhelmed and unfocused, I normally, you know, take a few minutes of panic, but then the, the best thing for me is I put in my earphones and I put on music, um, usually something fast, quick, um, you know, usually a guns and roses style music. And that allows me to get focused. I, I tend to get a little distracted by a lot of little things. When I put my headphones on, everybody knows in my household, that's when I'm going to work. Um, that's when I write, I write with headphones in my ears. Um, I have to have distraction. And so that allows me to dig in and and pick one thing and say, finish this one thing I've got in front of me. It may just be one thing. I may have 10 things I got to do, but doing 10 things, 1% of the way is all is not as good as taking one thing and getting it all done. And so that's usually how I, I manage the, the clutter and the focus issues. Everybody's had a ton of time on their hands. Obviously everybody's been cooped up at home. What's your favorite movie or what are you streaming on Netflix right now? Uh, we just finished Tiger Kings. Is that um, good? I'm hearing yeah. so much about it. Do I have to watch it now? You you do have to watch it. You have to realize it's a it's a real life Jerry Springer episode. Okay. Um, okay. And it's just it. And as somebody said on Twitter, the fact that um, there's big cats walking around in the background that seem normal to you, um, that tells you. And it, it's really the brilliance of it is that the it's it's not scripted. It's a uh, documentarian who just turned on to this and the story started telling itself. Um, and I think that's what's brilliant. It's a little bit like Serial, the podcast Serial, yeah, yeah. or, or uh, S-Town, really S-Town, where it was like what you thought it was going to be and how it went. It just kept taking on new levels. Um, we're, my wife and I are finishing Homeland right now. We 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 were behind the game on that one. Um, I like to read. I've got a bunch of books. I don't, I don't usually like to come home and read because I don't like to separate myself from my family after I've been gone all day. So if I'm on the road, which I'm not doing right now, I'm reading, I'm reading a book right now called Alone at Dawn, which is about the first uh, Medal of Honor recipient in the military who was ever filmed during his act of hero- uh, heroism. Unfortunately, he didn't survive. And it's the story of the paratroopers in the um, United States Air Force, the uh, combat controllers. My dad was a 20-year Air Force veteran and C-130 navigator and was fortunate enough to fly them at times. And so that was very interesting to me. So I think those types of things or what I'm um, working on. God knows it's not sports right now. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. All right, well, I guess I'm going to have to check out uh, Tiger King. I've heard so much about it, I can't get away from it. Uh, What do you think of when you hear the word successful? Um, You know, it's a good question. I think successful to me is is the idea that you're able to do and influence what you want to do. Okay, it's not an income thing. I know there's a lot of people who make a lot of money who are handcuffed by what they do. Mm-hmm. And there are people who don't make a lot of money but get to do everything that they want to do every day. Um, if you're working a job to me or you're in it, I mean, I know you probably in your locker room, maybe 30% of the people didn't enjoy the sport they played. Yeah, totally true. Okay, but they had to look at it differently and say, this job allows me to do something I want to do. Mm-hmm. If you can, as long as you can find the purpose of success is being uh, is having the resources allowing you to do what you want to do. It may have been playing football, it may have been playing professional golf. It also may have been one of those things where you can be home with your kids on and go to all your kids' events. Um, it could be the fact that you're able to stay in shape. Whatever it is that you define that allowed you to do what you wanted to do, to me, is how I define successful. And uh, last question: best advice you ever received. 
Um, best advice I ever received is, uh, let me think. Well, I mean, you know, I think it comes back to nobody's going to do it for you. We can reach out and ask a thousand people what we should do. Not one of them have a freaking clue what you should do. Mm -hmm. They're going to give you an opinion of how it would fit into their life from their perspective. At the end of the day, you got to trust yourself because when it goes right or it goes wrong, um, you're the only one that can take the accountability of what you're doing. You've got to make that decision. And uh, um, that was actually given to me by a guy on an airplane flying one day. And he was a young guy who wearing short or wearing jeans and flip flops and a T-shirt. And we we're sitting in first class. He goes, I don't usually fly first class that often. Um, I usually fly private. And we started talking and he owns a, a huge technology company that um, is responsible for the databases and, and stuff like that. And he was a really cool guy, really young, but he's like, build a small circle around you, but always trust your instincts and your gut because they're usually right. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, that's, uh, I, I would love to be rocking a private jet as well. I think we all would. Yeah, that would, be, that yeah. would be fantastic. Yeah. Well, Brett, man, I, uh, I can't thank you enough. So great talking with you. I'm sure our listeners are going to definitely be able to gain a lot from this episode. And, and if they follow you on social media, like I've told them to, at Dr. Brett McCabe, and follow you on YouTube, I know that they will be certainly better for it. So, um, Hope you stay safe, man. Hope the family's great. Again, thanks so much for joining us. Follow me as well on social media at Drew Butler and the show at Punt and Pass. And we will be back next week with more Quarantine Chronicles. We're going to keep this thing going until we can get out of the house. But, Brett, thanks so much, my man, and have a great weekend. You got it. Thank you. Awesome. See you.